welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to episode 101 of the Proper Mental Podcast and my guest this week is TJ Power who is a neuroscientist and an international speaker. TJ is someone who's been fascinated with the human brain from a young age and this fascination would lead him to studying neuroscience and then on to lecturing on the subject at universities and workplaces on a global level and his work has a really strong focus on improving mental health and well-being and giving people the tools needed to navigate this modern version of the world that we live in. And TJ's got a really big social media following. It was Instagram is how I came across his work. And I've been following him for some time. And his content's fantastic. So I was really, really chuffed when he said he'd come on to have a chat about it. And what I love about uh, TJ's content is he basically takes these very, very complicated systems and ideas. And he breaks them down into ways that anybody can understand. And then he combines that with some really actionable tips and routines and ideas that you can just put into your life to make yourself feel a bit better. And I've mentioned on the podcast a few times that earlier on this year, I started the process of coming off my antidepressant. And to do that, I wanted to make sure that everything in my world was optimal or at least the best it could be. You know, I wanted to the really solid foundations to go through this process. And I started doing a lot of the stuff that TJ suggests on his content. And it's had a massive impact. He talks a lot about routines and I'm always a little bit worried when people on social media start talking about routines. It normally means some bloke telling you to get up at four in the morning to go and breathe in your garden and make a green smoothie and all that stuff. But TJ stuff is much simpler. Just putting a few things in place, the kind of different ways to start your day and finish your day and get you through your day. And after following them for a little while now, a few months, I can really, really feel a benefit. And I definitely miss these things when I'm not doing them. But all this is in the episode. We're going to get to it because TJ takes me through the four key chemicals that we need to maintain biological harmony. We talk about why we need them, how they help us, and some of the common reasons why the process of releasing them can get thrown out of sync. And then I ask TJ about some of the things that we come in contact with or that we do every day and how they affect our brain. So what is happening to us when we scroll on social media? What's happening to us when we drink caffeine or eat junk food? We talk about FOMO. We talk about beer fear and why we feel anxious after a night on the ale. And then TJ gives me some ideas about how we can restore this natural balance to kind of compensate for these things. Because the idea isn't to take this stuff away out of our life because some of this modern stuff is great. But maybe we could just manage it a bit differently. Maybe we could just manage ourselves around it a bit differently. It's a really cool episode. I got loads from it. It was great to chat to TJ. And I think it's definitely an episode you need to listen to with a notepad, with a pen, bit of paper, make some notes, come back to it because there's a lot there. It's a big conversation. If you want to know more about TJ, about his work, about what he's up to, you can follow him on Instagram at TJ Power or at Neurofy.io. I've put a link in the episode notes to his YouTube channel as well. Also in the episode notes is everything you need to catch up with me. Feel free to get in touch. And feel free to review this episode or any other episode that you might choose to listen to. And this is episode 101 of the Proper Mental Podcast with TJ Power. 
Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. Here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is TJ Power. How are you, mate? Hello, mate. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. Thank you for joining me today, mate. You're um, coming live and direct from sunny Portugal. Is that right? I am, yeah. I'm currently uh, based in Lisbon, which is pretty cool. Nice and sunny. Yeah, dude. What, um, what inspired the move, mate, if uh, you don't mind me asking? Because that's relatively recent, right? Yeah, relatively recent. I've been here about six weeks. And... I just kind of was quite up for a change. The The London scene, which is where I was based, just didn't feel like the right place for me. I found it like kind of a bit stressful and stuff, London, and really was up for just a bit of an adventure, meeting new people, networking, all that kind of stuff, and quite like the sun as well. So, yeah, combination. Yeah. Oh, mate, yeah, can't can't go wrong. So, like, I was I was thinking about your move, actually, and, you know, as someone who understands the brain, understands how we work in the way that you do, when you come across like a big challenge, you know, like, I mean, moving to another country, it's not, you know, there's things come up, right? Are you mm-hmm. good at kind of like intellectualizing the thoughts and feelings that come along with a big move like that? Can you step away from it? And like, does it make that process a little bit simpler for you? Or do you still kind of get caught up like the rest of us? I can imagine I probably get caught up like the rest of us. I, I've been thinking about this for a number of years, like even before COVID and stuff, I was actually out in Toronto. I was looking at being based there. And then the COVID thing really like settled me in the UK for a while. So given it was such a long time coming, there was just such a like overwhelming level of just like pure excitement about the adventure. So a lot of my mind was more oriented towards that. And then just logistically figuring out the steps was pretty important. Yeah. So I suppose, yeah, just like riding that, riding that wave of excitement, right? Just, just enjoying it. Yeah. Sick, man. So, you know, I briefly touched upon your work there, mate, but um, how did you get, what was your route into neuroscience? How did you get to where you are now? Yeah. So studied psychology. That was the big subject I kind of fell in love with at about 16 years old. And then did my undergraduate in psychology, began mastering more into the neuroscience space down at Exeter University. And then Got a job as a lecturer at X University when I was doing the master's. So I started kind of building out these third year psychology and neuroscience teaching modules, which was my first kind of step into the more speaking space alongside the research I was doing um, for the neuroscientist work. And then it was actually in COVID when I was doing this lecturing and I kind of thought maybe I could turn this into kind of training experiences for companies and stuff like that because mental health was so high on the agenda. And I thought I had some ideas that could be useful. And then that really began to gain some some cool traction and that's brought us up to here. Right. Yeah. So why the why the brain, mate? Why was your interest in the in the first place? I gen like throughout my life just always been pretty interested in the head, in the mind and stuff. I had OCD pretty badly when I was a kid, when I was young, from about six to ten years old, around that sort of window, I experienced quite a lot of OCD. Ended up going through different things that supported that. One of the things was I really channeled it into golf and had this dream as a young kid of being a professional golfer which hasn't come true but I quite like what I'm doing now so that's cool and getting into the golf space I don't know if you've played any golf but it's a a lot about the brain like it's a lot about your mind and how you approach that game it's not necessarily just like a physical game like uh, many of the other sports so yeah I just became more and more interested in it I'm 
naturally kind of was inclined towards supporting people around me with their minds and stuff like that. And yeah, just was super interested to understand it in a better way. Yeah, super. Man. I kind of I've never played golf myself, but I work in the in the rehab space and I do a lot of work around like sports specific movement. Um, mm-hmm. So like taking a sport and saying, right, what does the anatomy be able to do to make someone better at this sport? Um, so I spend a lot of time with golfers. I work with a lot of golfers and it's always it fascinates me. I think that golf in a way is a really good metaphor for life in that you can kind of everything can be perfect and you can still sort of not do very well. You know, some, a, day could, a golf game could start off bad and somehow end up really good and vice versa. And there's kind of, there's a lot going on there that kind of uh, is a bit like life, right? Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't actually heard that before, but it is, you definitely ride the ups and downs as you play. So yeah, it's very true. Yeah. And something else I always think about golf is like, if you worry too much about the people, other people's game, it's going to affect yours. And I always think that's quite a nice metaphor for, uh, <laughs> for living life as right. Yeah. Very, very true. Yeah. So um, I follow you on social media for a little while, mate. So I'm a big fan of the content that you put out. And I, I really love how you take these very complicated um, systems, these ideas, and almost translate them into a way that everyone can understand. Um, so I was wondering if we could kind of start there, really. And if we could mm-hmm. look at your um is it the the dose um at, oh, i can't remember what's the word we take on? yeah yeah the dose the dose formula if we could start with that and maybe like look at these things that are, are happening in in the brain and and how that impacts us day to day because i think it's really easy to if people can understand the the why if they know what's going on then it's easier to make changes so if you you know people know we shouldn't mm-hmm. wake up in the morning and just jump onto instagram but we'll do it but if you can get some idea of what's happening inside you and why it's not good for you, it makes people, um, you know, it gives people more options, doesn't it? And it makes it easier to decide I'm not going to do that because this is going to happen. Yeah, that is very true. And that's a big reason why I became so fascinated by this space, because it is quite formulaic and people have busy lives. And this mental health thing, I think the more you can make it just like a nice process for yourself, understanding what's taking place, the better. So Yeah, DOSE stands for these four key kind of neurotransmitters that are really collectively like influencing your whole experience you're having in your life, your motivation, your relationships, your emotions, your ability to be physically healthy, all of these kind of things. When you have DOSE, you've got these four words, dopamine, which is like the super famous one that everyone knows about, which is, there's a big reason for that as we'll come to, oxytocin is the next one, you've then got serotonin, and then endorphins. And The big thing to understand is just that these chemicals, these neurotransmitters have evolved within us for 100,000 years, longer, hundreds of thousands of years. And they're just there for a reason. They want to be satisfied. They're there to keep us alive. And many of our behaviors that we're interacting with these days kind of throw them out of balance. And as a result, leaves us not feeling too good in our heads. Right. Yeah. So if we could, um, can we break them down a little bit? Like, let's start with that dopamine and, uh, and, and go from there, mate. Let's do it. So dopamine. Dopamine is the one that I think people are most familiar with. They see that word a lot. And to understand like the, the core of this, basically, its function within you as a human being is to create all of your drive and your motivation to do things. So if you take it to a nice, simple example of like a hunter-gatherer, for example, you have a person living in the jungle, the dopamine comes in to motivate them to want to go hunt or find food or raise their kids or look for a partner to have sex with or to build shelter. It creates all of this motive and this drive. And how it basically works is 
life was like pretty hard. It was pretty hard to survive in those kind of situations. You can imagine the cold, the weather, the danger, all of these different things. And how dopamine really functions is when you have something where you put in a load of effort and then it gives you some kind of reward, it makes it feel good, the experience of the effort. So like something like exercise, for example, it's not like, ah, oh, this feels amazing straight away. But as you go through, like, oh, I'm kind of happy I'm doing some exercise. At the end, you get that good feeling. And that's basically the natural dopamine cycle. You put in some effort and then you get a feeling of reward at the end. As we can come to, feel free to ask any questions, but lots of the things we do now follow the opposite path. It's no effort, loads of pleasure, like the social and the junk food and the porn and all this alcohol and all this stuff, which is why this system's getting thrown out of whack. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot. It always strikes me like um, I've always thought about it from the uh, physical perspective because that's what I what I work in. But it's so much illness or unwellness comes down to that difference between what we're designed for and what we're not designed for right and, yeah, what we're, for and sure. where we are now you know and the, and the difference between but yeah that's that's fascinating so if to keep our dopamine on a level to keep mm-hmm. everything kind of at baseline what sort of stuff do we need to be thinking about there mate so the first thing we have to do is figure out what is our addiction in life because addiction maybe used to be something that was like a little bit more rare like a few people were addicted to some stuff I really believe now, I don't know, I've trained maybe 10,000 people. Everyone's addicted to something these days. And you have kind of a list to choose from that could be your addiction. Social media could be your addiction. It could be alcohol. It could be junk food and poor diet. It could be porn, could be a big one, could be gambling. But if you try and figure out what is the first thing, because these are all the things that are really depleting the dopamine resource and making you have a lot less of it. So if you're an individual that's struggling with kind of like your energy and your drive and your excitement and your focus, that kind of driving energy for life. If you're feeling very depleted, it's very likely that one of those things, potentially a multitude of them, lots of people are watching a lot of porn, eating like shit, watching a lot of social media, all this stuff. You have to figure out what is my main one and how can I really focus on reducing the impact, reducing my relationship with it. And then we can focus on the other side, the builders that help build the dopamine up. Right. Yeah. So is it a case of kind of like maybe putting things in place in life? So we're getting that from elsewhere. Yeah, I think in a way, I mean, take something like the the social media addiction, which I think like pretty much all of us have got that in some form, especially with TikTok now in the game. And it's just like pure dopamine heaven when you're in that app. I think it's a lot about a lot about having like a number of strategies in your life that provide some kind of self-discipline that enable you to spend less time on it, to check it less, to understand when you've been scrolling for a certain amount of time, what it feels like to be depleted on dopamines, try and motivate you away from these behaviors, that kind of thing. Just like how you can become pretty familiar with a hangover and eventually maybe you start thinking, I don't want to feel this hungover every weekend. A similar process can take place with any of them. Yeah, sure. And then once that, um, once we drop below baseline and we start to feel like crap, um, is, is there anything we can do in particular to bring that back up? Or is it just a case of waiting for the brain to kind of produce more of this stuff and catch us back up? Yeah, that's a good question. So the brain naturally will restore it. So it will rebuild it as long as you're not furthering the depletion with one of the activities. But what is super cool is there is definitely things that are ridiculously good for the dopamine. So Any kind of movement, any kind of exercise will get a bit of dopamine coming into the body. This is typically why we feel a lot better when we exercise in life. So exercise is a great one. Education, any sort of 
way in which you enrich your mind that something that requires a bit of attention a bit of focus like for example listening to a podcast or watching tiktok the podcast is actually going to build dopamine your brain is going to be learning it's going to be requiring effort in order to understand the information so education is great exercise is great organization based stuff is really good so if you have ever experienced like that that feeling like, oh i really need to clean the kitchen or clean my bedroom or something and you think i can't be bothered and then you do it and during it you think wow it kind of feels quite good actually now i'm getting all clean bit of music on or something and then afterwards you're like oh it's so nice and that is dopamine that feeling that is healthy natural dopamine and then another one that's very good is cold water immersion is insanely good for this dopamine system so you see a lot online about the cold showers and stuff like that putting cold water on your hands, cold water on your face, turning the shower cold at the end. That's the classic activity that will rock it. So yeah, those are a few that are very good. Yeah, sure. I, you can really like, when you describe it like that, you can really see how we kind of get stuck in these low mood periods because a lot of the, because these things do require effort. So if mm-hmm. you've like, if you crash your dopamine out because you sat on your phone for too long and then after that, it's so much easier to go like, oh, I can't be fucked like going for a cold shower. I'll just have a bag of crisps. You know, like it, you can see why people get get trapped because the the things to help really do require efforts. You are you're you're earning that reward from the brain, aren't you? You really got to you know go for it. This brings us to such a perfect like circle of what you said originally around. We all know we shouldn't wake up and go into Instagram, but we do it anyway. The most important thing is to not let the dopamine start off depleted. If you start your day low, you're constantly in the depleted state that you can't be bothered to do any of that stuff. So this is why the morning is so important to get right to wake up. I think it's so good if you don't charge your phone, like by your bed, if it can be the other side of the room or outside the room, that's ideal. If the phone can be on airplane, that's also ideal. So there's less like pull, there's less urge. And then if you can start your morning with, Go and splash some cold water in your face, brush your teeth. If you re- scroll on the toilet, read a few pages of a book, even if it's just one page of a book, move your body in some way. But if, even if it's like five minutes at the beginning where dopamine is at least climbing at the start of the day, your motive and your desire for all the healthier stuff is going to massively increase in comparison to wake up scroll. Yeah, sure. No, that makes a, a lot of sense. It's just so I always think like with my own mental health, if I ever go for a bit of a blip or a patch, I can normally look back at my weeks and months in the build up to that. And I can sort of say, Oh yeah, I've been doing that again. Mm-hmm. Or, oh yeah. That's kind of crept back in, you know, it's, um, but having those, those healthy routines mm-hmm. is so beneficial for us. So eh? yeah, it's really, um, really important. Cool, man. So that was the, the D of dose. What's the, um, what's the O Mace? What's next? So, O O is oxytocin. And this is the one that is solely designed to bond us together as humans we are really a a social species if you put a hunt gatherer on their own in a jungle they are not going to survive very long at all and then if you put them in a group they become the dominant species so we are just like inherently super social very important to us that we have social connection and we see a lot of challenge with this in the modern world because i think many many people are feeling quite lonely and quite isolated despite our mass interconnection with tech and social and internet and stuff i think many people do feel quite isolated so this one is most predominantly released in the human experience. When a mum gives birth, both the mum and the child experience this surge of oxytocin in order to create the initial maternal bond. And then throughout the, the throughout the breastfeeding and all the physical interaction and the love and the kissing and the hugs between the baby and the mum and the other primary caregivers, 
that is the initial like oxytocin experience because it's just so important that there's a bond there in order to create the desire to raise the kid and the kid to admire and begin to observe behavior and stuff like that. So that's why we've got it originally. And then any sort of process that involves socially connecting with people, giving love to people, supporting people or receiving love in your direction and feeling cared for and feeling safe. That's like a giant oxytocin based experience. Yeah, it's, it's just so fascinating to hear about the about the chemical side behind it because a lot of the things that you're even just mentioning there, we know that they feel good. We almost take it for granted. You know, like we never really think about much when we're not doing them. It's just something that you know, you know a hug feels nice. You know, you know it's nice when you go and do something <laughs> social with your mates, but you never really think about why. We just kind of think that it's one of those things. So it's really fascinating to hear how, you know, it's all a system, right? It's all a system that's been put inside us for very specific reasons, which means we can do more to encourage the positive sides of, of getting the most out of these systems. Yeah, that's really definitely amazing. like if you put it in an example where you are just trying to survive as a group in a jungle and like I keep going back to this because we spent hundreds of thousands of years doing that, like relatively speaking, what we're doing now, it's like a, a snap of your fingers in terms of how long we've been doing it. This is a blink of an eye. Whereas like that is what we did. That is why we have everything that you've got. That's why we've got it. And all of these behaviors that we go through naturally would have just occurred on their own in those times that you had to have social connection you had to be super connected to your tribe or you just won't stay alive and you had to do loads of things like organize and put an effort and educate yourself and get into cold water and do lots of hard stuff so the dopamine was right and as we go through all of them everything was naturally taken care for so psychologically although the world would have been very tough we would have just been in quite a good psychological place whereas in this modern world we have just totally shifted what it means to be a human. So we're just missing a lot of these fundamental behaviors. So this is why like a, almost a re-education back to the just primal natural way in which we need to live needs to take place. Yeah, sure. You can really see the societal impact on, you know, what it's for all the benefits in some way, some advantages that it's given us all the other stuff that it's, that it's taken away, you know, and something I say to my, the people I work with a lot is that, you know, back in those times, you know, life was physically challenging, but not particularly mentally challenging. You know, all the stuff is kind of instinct. The big problems we were dealt with on instinct, but then now the world is, is mentally challenging and it's physically easy. Those two things have swapped. And, I've, you know, it really is the, the root cause of a lot of a lot of our problems. Yeah, very much so. And um, the next the next lesson is. Sorry, oh, sorry go on. Yeah. Oh, just a little just a little lag there, mate. Sorry. What, what were you saying? I was just going to say, when I, when I share these things, it's not by any means meaning I don't think what we're in now is ridiculously cool. I love our world now. I think it's crazy that you can just like work in such a like hybrid movement based way and earn an income in that way and share with so many people and learn crazy amounts of information, have loads of entertainment on YouTube. I think everything about our world is so cool. I just think it's tough for how our mind operates. And I just think we're seeing that as a society, a ton of attention is going to this mental health thing. And I really do believe mass viable solutions will come out of this. I think every generation gets a problem to solve. And I think this is something can't be just like everyone feels perfect all the time. Of course not. But I think on mass, we can find a solution to how to operate in our more techie robotic world. Yeah, sure. That's a really good point, isn't it? You know, it's, um, 
you like you've got to work with what you've got right so it's not mm-hmm. just the case of like all oh, right so this isn't working for us cool i'm just gonna like you know move into the woods <laughs> around the corner and you know, try and get back <laughs> no. to basics yeah you i might do that one day <laughs> <laughs> work I, towards my, it. my idea would be some kind of like tree house but then also with all the latest tech in it so i can be like connected but in the nature <laughs> yeah like a tree house of really good wi-fi and then you can't like, <laughs> yeah that's yeah. what i'm looking for. you'll be there yeah definitely <laughs> um so the the S as part of this dose system is something that really interests me because in the mental health competition, in mental health conversation, serotonin is a, is a big deal, right? That gets talked Mm -hmm. about a lot. So what's, what's going on with that? mate? Yeah. So serotonin, as you say, like people are very familiar with it and they're very familiar for, for one specific reason that it is the antidepressant medication is it targets serotonin. You have this whole concept of SSRIs, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which, are basically enabling serotonin has this process whereby it is on a circular loop it builds the brain experiences it and then it goes back out and then it builds the brain experience it like our mood isn't supposed to be high all the time naturally it's supposed to just like gently move up and down and ssris would effectively put like a wall in that loop so as it builds and it comes in it remains there so the mood remains more steady basically so that's why people are very familiar with the word interestingly there are lots of different behaviors that really, really impact this, of course. So first thing to understand, main function is your mood and your emotional state and things like irritability and anxiousness and struggle with sleep and having lots of thoughts in your head. These would be classic symptoms of maybe being slightly lower on serotonin. What's pretty cool about this chemical is all of these chemicals are made in what's called your hypothalamus which is deep inside your brain it's like if you imagine i went straight through there to the middle they're in your hypothalamus what's cool about serotonin is five percent of it is being made in your hypothalamus but 95 percent of it is being made inside your digestive tract which is pretty wild so it's actually really interacting with your body this neurotransmitter and that is why like when you look through the behaviors that influence this one, a lot of the things that make the body really happy actually lead to the body being calmer, happier, in a better state. And then the body can send that information to the brain. So a a nice simple one, for example, is sunlight really affects serotonin, having sunlight on our skin. And you see that, especially in the UK, like how much our mood is connected to whether it's sunny outside, like it's gray outside, the mood dips, you see winter blues and you see things like sad, that seasonal affective disorder. This is because of lack of light on our skin, basically. So sunlight, the skin gets happy, nutrients, body, serotonin produces more, this kind of thing. So sunlight's a big one. Gut health is really important. So nutrition is massive. You can imagine if this stuff's being made in your stomach, good nutrition turns up and the body's going to be like, cool, I can use that as a resource to build this stuff. Alternatively, crap nutrition turns up. It's going to be focused on that and not on the serotonin. So yeah, start with that. These are the kind of things that are impacting it. Yeah, sure. And it's it's interesting how they all work together. So that same junk food that's crashing your dopamine is also affecting the quality of the serotonin that's getting produced in the gut, right? So it's again, these things are all all kind of linked, linked together. Yeah, that's really interesting. Hyper interconnected. They're just like one system. They all just want to be in harmony and bliss, feeling motivated, good mood, connected. And it's just like they're when you throw one out, typically it is actually negatively impacting another one as well. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Oh, mate, and what was the um, what was the E, the last part of the the dose analogy? What we uh, what's that about? So that's endorphins, which is the one that people always heard about first. Like endorphins have been in society for a long time. Like, oh yeah, you get endorphins off of that. And 
This one's a little bit different to the other three. The other three are really taking you in a direction upwards. So more motivated, more connected, better mood. They're all you're, you're shooting for something. Endorphins are actually designed to take something away. And what they take away is psychological and physiological pain. So their main function for us as a human is if you're in a situation where you are physically threatened and you're like, say, fighting a small animal or you are like fighting another human or something in the jungle, endorphins release throughout the bloodstream in order to, as a natural pain reliever, to take the pain away so you can focus on what you're experiencing. So something like, anything that really physically uses the body can lead to an endorphin release because the body's entering pain. So you hear many people th talk about this thing like runners high and they're like, wow, I get this like really high emotional experience whilst I'm doing like really prolonged distance running. And it's because the body's entering a state of physical exhaustion where it's like, wow, let's turn on the endorphin system because this is getting pretty tough. So that's his main function. Similar to what you said earlier, the world used to be physiologically extremely challenging. Our bodies were going through a lot of pain. Now our minds are going through more pain. Regardless, if the endorphin system comes into the body, it's just going to lead to a big relief in whatever stress and pain the mind is going through. Right. Yeah. So to bring us, bring us back down again. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. really interesting. Yeah. I've never, I've never really thought of, uh, like you say, endorphins, it's another word that we know and we don't really know why or anything about it. Right. So we throw it, Oh, I'm going for a run. It'll sort me endorphins out, <laughs> but it's like, without <laughs> actually quite knowing the the system behind it. Yes. Yeah, so that's really cool to learn out what's actually going on. I find it really empowering. Um, I've actually, um, at the at back end of 2020, I started on antidepressant medication myself and then nice. I kind of made the, the choice at the start of this year to come off those, those meds. Oh, interesting. I, okay. um, I started in March um, because like the weather's getting better. It's just a nicer time. You don't want to be doing that in December. Right. Um, and I've yeah. actually been using, and it's one of the reasons why I reached out to yourself. I've actually been using a lot of your, a lot of your tips, a lot of your ideas and processes to build myself a little routine. Cause I was like, well, if I'm going to come off these things, I need to kind of make sure that everything is in the best possible place it can be to absorb these changes um great so been, mentality yeah so I've, I've got so much from your social media mate with from like starting my day with splashing water on my face and then i go out sit in the garden and have a glass of water and it's like all these things that you um that you talk about and it it's made a huge a huge difference like it you know there's so much of these things that um i don't know we kind of when the when the gains are small we tend to forget, we don't think of them important, right? We're all after mm -hmm. big gains, but when they're like small little things, but if you add up enough small little things, they start to feel like big little things. And that's kind yeah. of like my experience of doing all these like little things throughout the day. And I was wondering if we could kind of, yeah, just have a look at maybe some of the, the common things that affect these chemicals. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and what they're doing when we have maybe too much of them. And the obvious one that we've touched on already is, is social media and tech and stuff like that. Is that mainly like a dopamine thing that that's going to, the problem that that's going to cause with? Yes, yeah, so I love what you're sharing there, mate. It's very, very cool. And just, just adding on to that, that we're always looking for big wins um, before I go into the social. Mm. This is one of the tricky things, like when people are comparing, like, should I take a medication or should I go on? Should I do some of this behavioral treatment? And, and just to preface, I, I don't have anything against medication by any means, but I just am also massively in support of all the behavioral stuff because it can either support with the medication or maybe provide an alternative idea. So I think it's great to do the behavior stuff alongside. But when we try these things, because we're so like, we're so addicted to these big stimulations, like oh, really nice, exciting, sugary food or loads of like fast paced TikTok or porn. Or like we want these big hits to our brain. 
when someone says does something that's really good for serotonin like going for a walk in a park in nature bare feet on the ground in some sunshine that is bliss for your serotonin but it's not like a huge high in your brain that's going to provide some like big tangible benefit where you're like wow my mental health is so much better now but understanding that it is just a multitude of all these different behaviors that add up that lead progressively to that serotonin getting much back to a nice gentle baseline level and then above baseline as you progress so that's kind of the the big first step yeah so in terms just, of sorry just yeah, to follow yeah. that up mate it's just something that popped into my head is that one thing i found particularly with um just things like splashing the starting my day with splashing water on my face is that after i'd built that into a like a routine where it was almost a habit if something happened like maybe my kids got me up a bit early and i didn't go straight to the to the sink it was almost like um like i would miss it like I would need mm. to do it. Like I'd, I'd get my son set up with whatever he needed doing, get his toast on the go. And then I'd quickly nip back upstairs and do it. And it's almost, and there's a lot of things that I've noticed once I've sort of actually thought about why am I doing this and making the effort to do it. And it's the same with getting outside for a bit of a walk every day. If I don't do it, it's like my, I can, I can feel that my body needs to do it. And I go out and I mm-hmm. get that little, little fix. And um, is that, um, is that like an actual thing or is that something that I'm just kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> anecdotally experiencing or is there like a reason behind that? The thing is you genuinely are creating a, a chemical change in the a- activity that is taking place. Like there's genuinely more dopamine in your brain during that cold water or there's genuinely more serotonin in your brain during that nature walk. And then once you begin to do it consistently, our bodies are so good at conditioning and learning stuff. So they begin to learn like they're so good at, for example, you can change a meal time and then within a few weeks, your body is hungry at that exact hour because it begins to learn very fast. And if it learns to like expect a little bit of a dopamine hit in the morning from that cold water, not only if you don't do it, you're actually kind of like down instead of just being at the same level, you're actually down. because it's like, oh, where's that? And then it's not there. So it genuinely is not just anecdotal, like your brain is beginning to expect it. And this is, you want to teach it to expect these things because then you're motivated towards all these good behaviors. Whereas many people, because they don't do any of the stuff, there's no desire for it. So it's about being really experimental, trying the stuff, which then begins to condition it up. Yeah. And trusting the process, right? So I, like the first time I did it, I wasn't like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> like, you're like, yeah, it's just a, just about no kind of just... building those little, those little habits over, over time. And the, the other thing that I found really good about it is that how small and achievable they are, because mm-hmm. there's a lot, especially in like the social media world, there's all this like, you know, morning routines is a big deal for all these like, you know, coaches and stuff like that. And it's all about starting your day three hours before anyone else to <laughs> get all this stuff done. And it's not necessary. It is great for some people, but it's not necessarily good for other people. Right. But the really small things like anyone can splash a bit of water and open a window, you know, that's, that's, it's mm-hmm. really not asking much, but the rewards over time are very much worth those small investments. I found definitely that's good to hear man that's good to hear on your uh you questioned about like how different behaviors are impacting the chemicals stuff and I think that's great because the the best thing we can achieve in this conversation is someone coming out of it feeling like wow I really understand that all these different things so yes social media does affect dopamine a lot it can it's really depleting that pleasure resource within us and with the regarding the pleasure thing, the more you deplete your ability to, to feel pleasure, you're kind of building tolerance to pleasure effectively. 
the less pleasure you then begin to feel in life. So the pleasure you might experience of connecting with your wife or hanging out with your friends or your kids or eating some nice food begins to reduce because you've had this big tolerance on social media. So pleasure-wise, it is messing with that dopamine system. However, social media also has a monster effect on this. This looks like I'm drinking wine. This is actually water, <laughs> just so we uh, know before I do the dopamine speech. But... Uh, <laughs> The other impact it has is oxytocin. Oxytocin is this desire to bond with people. And it's one of the biggest reasons we're also addicted to social media because we love humans. We innately love other humans. We're so interested by them. We want to look at them, hear them, speak to them. That's just like what we're hardwired to want to do. And one of the biggest challenges is this feeling of like isolation and loneliness and not really feeling like you belong to a group and feeling like a little bit stuck in your own head and thinking a lot, worrying, self-analysis, that kind of stuff. And the challenge with social media is, is if you're in a slightly lonely state, which means your body is really craving oxytocin and connection. And I say this from experience. I came out to Lisbon recently and as much as social media may make it look like, wow, that looks fun. Nice working into Lisbon. That's pretty cool. I spent a few weeks out here feeling pretty lonely. Like I didn't have any friends yet. I moved to the city. I knew no one. I had no friends. And I just like was just trying to figure out how the hell you even go make friends in a new city. Like I haven't done that sort of thing since I went to university. And I uh, was feeling a little bit lonely. And as a result, we're spending a hell of a lot more time on my phone because you're craving the desire to connect with people. I couldn't. Well, I could, but I hadn't figured out how to. And therefore, I was spending a lot of time on Instagram, specifically on Instagram stories, because stories is like the most human connection-y part of Instagram, because it's like what people are actually doing with their time. So I was then not just not connecting with people, but I was also spending all my time looking at other people connecting with each other which further like dissatisfies that oxytocin system because it's like sitting on a playground at school and having to sit and watch everyone play on the playground and not actually be able to get involved. So in terms of that, like connection, feeling like you're a part of something bonding, social media really is like having a tricky effect on that. So it's kind of dopamine and oxy for that one. Yeah. Wow. Is, is that kind of like um, what's going on with FOMO and stuff like that? Is that kind of uh, a long, long percent. Because it's like FOMO is a really good idea. It explains like this fear of missing out, but it's not necessarily like FOMO originated from the idea of like, oh, they're all at this party and I didn't go to that party and now I've got FOMO because I'm missing out on that experience. FOMO is much bigger scale than that. It's not fear of missing out on what that person is doing. It's fear on missing out on the fact that they're doing something and I'm sitting on the sofa on my phone doing nothing. So it's like they're just experiencing life and I'm doing nothing with my time right now except consuming. And it really does make us feel crap. And it kind of constantly reinforces to us like what we could be doing, what we're not doing, which is creating this big kind of feeling of like dissatisfaction within us as humans. And we have everything you could ever dream of as a human. If a hunter gatherer saw what we'd managed to get hold of, they'd be like, you literally have it all now. But so many people in our world feel so dissatisfied with their job and their life and their relationship and their health and all this stuff. And this constant observation of others is really like creating that challenge yeah sure yeah it's fascinating like every it's really interesting because everything you're saying you, i can relate to um different aspects of the mental health conversation you know so that connection with others what's really really common particularly i believe in men's mental health is that as we get older and we have families it's certainly something i experience once you have kids you what your world sort of gets a lot smaller and it revolves around your kids and maybe you move to a different area or something like that which is again something i did 
we lose those friendships and those connections as we journey through life. Your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And at the same time, a bit like your experience when you first moved there, it gets a lot harder to meet people. You know, when you're, mm-hmm. you know, like 30 plus, 40 plus, it gets more and more challenging, the opportunities to meet other human beings and make new friends. You even like, as a bloke, you can feel a bit silly as a 40 year old man saying like, oh, I want to make some friends. You're just waiting for someone to go, oh, friends. You know, like it, it just, it's... um it just makes so much sense. You know, all these things that happen to us when you look at the, the what the chemicals are doing, it just fits. It just mm-hmm. kind of fits the, fits the story. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. For sure. And what's really important to recognize is we need friends. Like we really need close, intimate friendships. We don't need many of them at all. Two or three could satisfy you. A lot of people say about five would be amazing if you had five people in your life you felt pretty close to. And I think one of the challenges now is we have like tons of kind of connections on the internet. Like you might perceive in your head, you've got 150 friends on Instagram or whatever it may be, that you're like interacting with their stories and liking occasional DM and stuff. But that's not like proper friendship. That's just like an interaction with a human. And you really need these deep personal bonds, people that you can listen to and be vulnerable with and share with and feel like a strong connection with. So Really, rather than thinking I want to be connected to lots of people, think how do I isolate and find like a few friends that I feel super close to is important. One thing I would say, and it's just in case there is someone that's listening that is feeling lonely, this is an app I, oh, I've just had my Siri come up one sec. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, good, yeah. Yeah, my Siri appears. I didn't know if I was about to be chatting with Apple or you. Um, if you are feeling lonely, this isn't a marketing for this app, but there is this app called Meetup, which I discovered, which is in all countries in the world. And it's basically this app where you can go on it and there's like a million different activities that people are doing in every single city in the world of like so much stuff, art, gaming, music, anything. And everyone going on it is going on it because they're in that space. Where it's like, oh, I'm quite up for meeting up with people and making some new friends. So when you go to these experiences, it's not like some awkward thing of like, oh God, I've got to try and make friends. Everyone is in the exact same headspace. And I began using that out here because I really wanted to make some friends. And it completely like revolutionized my experience out here because I met some people. So if you're in a headspace, you think, oh, I really want to have some friends, but I just aren't in an environment where I'm meeting that many people. I really recommend just having a look at it. This sounds like a huge advert, but it's not have a look at it and see like there might be an activity you like doing you might there might be like a five-side football in a park or there might be some music that you like doing you can go along it's like a few hours meet some people but prioritizing just finding people you can be yourself with is a must it's just like a non-negotiable yeah that's so cool yeah i'll um i'll grab a link for that and i'll pop it in the exercise in the um episode notes it sounds like something i could do with myself actually tj it sounds like a really um, honestly it's so really good cool mate find. i started going to cool stuff breathwork events and, and it's all free as well nothing's paid for so like you just go to the events for free people just host them every topic of stuff that you could find interesting i just think it, it had such a big impact on my trip here that like i just really want to recommend it yeah yeah that's awesome so many of these things it, it sounds as if we like we can create these sort of positive circles by doing these little things, right? Getting these connections and, and working with these chemicals. And you can also see why, why mental health and when people struggle with their mental health, why it's so awful because the, the illness itself, it strips you of your ability to do some of these things. So, Definitely. you know, if someone like is suffering with like really bad anxiety, well, hopping on the meetup app is going to be like really scary. That's the mm-hmm. one thing you don't want to do. And so then you're getting trapped in this, negative loop you're going the other way right so you're stuck in the house so it's much more easy to jump on your phone and then you're looking at people's stories and it's it really Mm -hmm. is you can you can see where a lot of this stuff 
um, a lot of this stuff comes from the environmental side of mental health. Obviously there's a big, you know, you know, we're not talking about trauma and all the other reasons why people get sick, but by the, the environmental issues, you can really see where a lot of this stuff comes from. Definitely. Definitely. And I think in a situation like that, it's just all about like a, a really small achievable step in the right direction. Like, I think many people are in that situation you've described feeling like anxious and quite isolated and maybe at home. And I do a lot of education in, in like the younger space and this kind of social anxiety is huge. And I think across all generations, it's very big now and small steps would you, would be like maybe starting to like voice note a friend you're connecting with. So it's like a little bit more than text. So it's a little bit better human connection. Then maybe like FaceTiming someone is a really good step. It's a little bit better, much better from a chemical point of view to be FaceTiming over message. And then see if that can become, why can we, why don't we go for a 30 minute walk or a 60 minute walk and like gradually ease yourself back into something that you're nervous around rather than just disregarding think I'm socially anxious now I can't do it because you can always like gradually find little steps that can help you in that direction. Yeah, sure. It's almost, I kind of think about anxiety. Sometimes you have to very slowly, like you say, but almost prove it wrong, right? You have to kind of, you know, take those, take those steps to, to, yeah, to prove it wrong to that voice in your head to, you know maybe remind yourself that it's not always true it's often not true in some cases but a hundred percent anxiety is our body just feeling very unsure and nervous about whether something is going to be okay basically like if you think about what we get anxious about whether it's finances or friendships or work or whatever it may be our body is in like a real state of unease our nervous system is super active and our body is like anticipating a threat effectively so our thoughts go quickly and it's like what what is coming coming at me like what what is the stress so really the way to alleviate the anxiety like if it's social anxiety is get yourself into a calm social situation that you feel like is just about manageable with some people you do like and then prove to your body that it's okay and that it's not in danger in that situation and once it manages to feel calm in that moment it's going to be like oh this wasn't quite as bad as I was perceiving it in my mind to be. And then it's going to be a little bit better the next time. And that's the same with all of our different anxieties, like figuring out how we can find a state of calm in the midst of what we're doing is really, really important. Yeah, sure. That actually kind of feeds quite nicely into the, the next um, thing that I wanted to ask you about. And that's alcohol because quite often <laughs> as I people... drink my uh, nice clear white <laughs> yeah, wine, your wine glass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, quite often one of the side effects for a lot of people is, um, is like, you know, beer fear, isn't it? And anxiety yeah. after drinking, but how does, how does like a, a night out, how is that going to affect these chemicals that we've been talking about? Yeah. So a- alcohol is a massive one. Like I think it's up there with social media, biggest impact on mental health that we've got going. And Alcohol is super connected with this dopamine system. It's really the dopamine system that it's messing with. And when we drink it, it's obviously pure bliss and joy. Like dopamine pours into our brain. The dopamine pours in. It provides such an experience of joy that it provides huge relief to all other things in our mind. We get super present focus. We're like really immersed in conversations. All of these different things take place. And neurologically in our brain like huge shifts happen towards your what's called your prefrontal cortex the brain really zones in effectively as this dopamine pours in the challenge is the next day the dopamine has to try and get back to its baseline so say you've got this nice steady level dopamine's been up here all night and then you've also had your fast food and it's oh, so good you've had your cigarettes and your vape and whatever you may have maybe come over watch porn like we do a lot of this dopamine stuff all in one go basically the dopamine's up here and then 
the next day, obviously, as the, as the dopamine source ends, so whenever you decide to stop drinking, stop eating, whatever, maybe the dopamine is then on its full. But because it's gone up and up so quickly, it can't just fall and go back to here. It's not gone through a nice steady curve like, say, exercise would be. So it's gone up fast. It's got to go back down equally the other way in order to get back to its middle baseline level. So if you imagine something like a when you've watched like a show with hospitals on TV, you see a heart when it starts to go really fast. It goes really fast, really slow, really fast, really slow, because the, the body's immediately trying to counter. Everything wants balance. So in this low dopamine state the next day, the experience is that if a hunter-gatherer, for example, is really low on dopamine, they would have no drive to do anything. They wouldn't like have any motive to go and find the food, build the shelter, connect with people, do the things that are required to keep them alive. That experience of low dopamine and not having any motive to do that is going to make the body extremely anxious and extremely nervous because it's going to be like, well, how the hell am I going to stay alive without this stuff? Typically on Saturdays and Sundays, like on these big boozy days, the body is so low on dopamine. And that's why it gets so anxious because it's like, where is this resource that creates all my like love and drive and excitement for life? And that's kind of what's taking place. Right. Yeah. Oh man, that yeah, makes fascinating. And it, I suppose, like you say, it's um a lot of these things we do together, right? Like the alcohol and the junk food and all those things come in come into play all at once. So it kind of like ramps, ramps everything up. Yeah. It ramps up. And then the next day, you're re- and bear in mind when I'm saying all this stuff, I've smashed every thing you can imagine in terms of like I've done a lot of all this stuff I don't come from it like oh I was Mr Neuroscience and I've just been healthy my whole life very much the opposite and gradually have discovered a way to live a pretty healthy life so when you're in this low dopamine state it feels crap and if you imagine like dopamine is literally like bubbles in your brain imagine if you had a bucket in your brain of dopamine when you started the night out, there was like a lot there from the whole week of work. You used a load of it during the alcohol drinking. It's amazing as you used it all. But the next day, let's say that bucket's 20% full. So it's nowhere near 100%. In a state when it's 20% full, you feel like crap. You like worry in your mind more and can't bother to do anything. And you also got the sickness of the hangover. But then we think, how, how can I make myself feel good in this situation? Well, I could scroll TikTok. That would feel good in the moment that I scroll it. And I could eat some crap food and I could definitely watch some porn and I could maybe smoke my vape quite a lot. And these kind of things in you're actually taking your 20 percent then down to like 10 percent, 5 percent. And you're getting it super low. And then as it's at 5 percent, you want the stuff even more. because you're like, wow, I'm getting really low on this stuff and I really want more. And this is why we can get in these perpetual loops on hangovers of like scrolling for five hours because we don't want to let go of the dopamine because we know when we leave it then our brain goes like wow i'm low on this resource so it's why on a hangover it's so important that you do some stuff that's actually restoring the dopamine so if on a hangover for example you do the cold water on your face or the cold shower or you get outside in the fresh air for a walk or you put some effort into cooking some decent food or you organize your home a little bit and make your bedroom look nice any of these things are a bit effort that i can't even do i'm hungover these are the things that will actually begin to take you out of the hangover much quicker yeah i suppose it's for people to have um excuse me systems and solutions right and that's you know it is what something i again like i really take from your social media and you just touched on it then is like you know no one's saying right don't do this or don't do that because uh, you know that as soon as you say to people like oh don't drink or whatever well no one's going to engage with that conversation right it's such a Mm -hmm. big part of our our culture uh, for people who choose to do it but yeah but to have those systems in place you can you can wake up you can feel like crap and go okay i understand why i feel like crap and this is going to help if i you know if 
I choose these things rather than these things? And, it, you know, it's really empowering. It gives people the power back to take control over their health, doesn't it? For sure. And I just, I think one of the worst things with mental health is when you feel really, really crap and like anxious or you're overthinking a lot, you're feeling depressed and you have no idea why and you just like really aren't feeling good. And I think these, these, this chemical formula, it's not like the whole solution to mental health by any means. As you mentioned before, trauma, for example, is a very different conversation. There's a lot of different things going on there. But I think it provides a really good reference point as to what is the problem that's taking place in my mind? Like, is it that I'm really lacking drive and motivation and focus and like excitement for life? Is it that, that I'm not having? That's dopamine. Is it that I'm really feeling isolated and disconnected and lonely and low in confidence, that kind of thing? then your oxytocin is low. If, if it's serotonin, if your mood is very unstable, you're feeling irritated and frustrated and just like almost that feeling when you're really hungry and you don't have any food, you know, that like hangry feeling, that'd be classic low serotonin. So the more familiar you get with your emotional state, you can then think this is the resource I'm low in. And then this is the different behaviors that would really support me in this. And it can provide like a nice gentle route back to feeling good rather than just being out in the wilderness. Yeah, sure. And I suppose as well, like, regardless of what people are, are dealing with, whether it is trauma related, whether it's anything related, we're all uh, underneath all of that stuff. We're all human, right? So we're all this mm -hmm. like chemistry set that's like you say, is all working together. So it doesn't matter on what other aspects of your mental health you are working with. It doesn't matter what uh, illness you have been diagnosed with. It's only going to help that if the underlying mm -hmm. basic chemistry of the human body is kind of ticking along nicely, right? It's going to help you to work on the other stuff that maybe isn't connected to this stuff. Definitely. You're just maximizing your chance of feeling good, basically. And if there was, for example, like something that's particularly painful to work through, like I've been through therapeutic guidance and stuff, and I think... I think therapy is, is just like amazing that we have that as a conversation in society. And I think anyone that's got like a loop in their head that's struggling with something, I think therapeutic stuff is fantastic. And I just think that this is more the behavioral stuff that's going to assist you into a headspace that's just going to make everything else way, way more attainable. Yeah. And that's certainly, like I said before, that's certainly my, um, my experience of it, you know, and, but the, the last one I wanted to ask you about of things that can affect this, um, this biochemistry is, is one, and it's something that I, I suppose I'm asking it for very, um, selfish reasons because it's, it's something that really affects me, but um, it's caffeine TJ. Um, I've got two little kids. There's not a lot of sleep in my house. And um, I have been known to, uh, you know, allow caffeine to drag me through through the day. And although it's a very useful tool, um, you know, there's, there's, there's ways to manage it, right? Yeah, caffeine is an interesting one because caffeine really interacts with dopamine. So that like it's, it's really giving you drive and focus. That's why like when we drink it, when we work, we might enter a little bit better focus than without it. And it, like anything that synthesizes it like gives us something with no effort always like unfortunately has a drawback like that it, that is just the pathway of it like if you take something like porn porn is synthesizing the experience of having sex with someone because you're observing it but typically it can be feel pretty crappy afterwards like any our brain just has this like really clever mechanism that it wants optimal survival it wants like pure health basically just to try and keep us alive so caffeine does have some drawbacks i think there are some few things to manage it. So as you said earlier, like just saying no to things isn't often the best route. So this would be my, my guidance around it. Using it to wake you up is really not ideal. So like if you're having it 
within like 30 minutes of waking and, and the caffeine is actually what's waking the system, it's really going to lead to a lot of energy crashes throughout the day. And caffeine does create dopamine in our brain. And wherever the early sources of dopamine come from in our day, so whether it comes from the social media or could be caffeine, your body is then going to think very, very instinctively, oh, I know where I got my, my dopamine from today. I'm going to crave it even harder because I got it from there. So this is why like vaping first thing in the morning is like really bad for the addiction. So using natural stuff to wake you up, cold water to wake you up, going out in the sunlight, moving your body, interacting with your family, naturally waking yourself up is great. And if the coffee can be delayed, towards more like a mid-morning sort of thing that gives you your first extra boost over the body waking up, I think that would be ideal. One thing that is super cool with uh, a super cool drink to have that I've found is such a ridiculously good replacement to caffeine because I don't think it's just the caffeine we want. I think we really like the whole ritual experience of having a coffee. I think it's a really big part of it. Like, I think I could probably trick you with some decaf coffee and you might even think you were getting energy. Like you could probably get placebo to think you were getting more energy from those coffees because the whole experience of having the coffee actually like is so conditioned to give you a boost. And I wanted to drink a bit less coffee. For me, coffee just doesn't really work with my gut that well. Like it kind of fucks without my, oh God, that was a bad swear. And I don't normally do that in podcasts, but it uh, evidently it really does something bad because I had to use a swear word to explain what it was. <laughs> And I started trying this other drink, which is, you know, that there's like that cacao powder, which mm -hmm. is like a raw chocolate powder, which is really good. It's got like iron and zinc and like really uh, magnesium. And it's like a very good nutritious source for our body. I started stirring that into oat milk with some honey. So it's like a, it's like a hot chocolate effectively, but just like a healthy hot chocolate, good honey, cacao, some oat milk, whatever milk you like. It tastes absolutely insane. It gives you a big energy boost because it's so nutrient dense and nutrients are what give us most of our energy. And it gives me the whole kind of experience of I'm going to have something. I'm going to sit on the sofa or I'm going to sit with someone and have it. So yeah, those are some initial thoughts. A, a bit, not using it to wake you up, maybe having it less often. And if you want another one, maybe trying out the cacao drink. Yeah, cacao is fascinating stuff. If anyone who's listening wants to do some reading up on that, that's um, it's been used like throughout history, hasn't it? To um, I because I, I the therapist that I go to, she uses it um ceremonially, and just to be able nice. to kind of um, you know, access you know maybe some some sorts and feelings that you find hard to vocalize. And um, she was telling me that like back in back in the day like the Aztecs if they were fighting over territory or something then all the leaders would come together and they'd all sit around and they'd all drink cacao and they'd just talk and if they hadn't uh, resolved the conflict by the time everyone had had a drink then they'd drink again and they'd just sit there for hours drinking enough cacao to open them up so they could find peaceful uh you know ends to conflict without having to go to war because eventually they'd have enough of all that goodness stimulating them to be able to just speak openly and honestly and have more compassion for each other and there's there's so much that's going on with cacao when we drink that very cool it does have like a kind of like calming energizing effect on the body rather than like caffeine how it's actually energizing you is it has like two parts it releases the cortisol in your stomach so like it it basically slightly makes you think there's a threat in your environment so the cortisol which is our stress hormone in us in, it's not it's actually in our adrenals releases in order to like pump a bit of blood rate, blood flow up heart rate up so that's the initial energy spike 
And then it also you have this, this chemical in your brain called adenosine, which is like a, a tiredness molecule effectively. And when you're getting more tired, adenosine is building in your brain. And many people obviously perceive that caffeine and coffee is giving you energy. It's like, oh, caffeine turns up and it adds energy to me. It doesn't actually do that. It just blocks the adenosine. So the adenosine, it can't be felt anymore. And it's like, you're actually just blocking the fact you feel tired rather than giving yourself energy. That's kind of what's taking place. So when we do it a lot, we're really exhausting these systems because we're ignoring the fact we're tired, so we're resting as much, and we're adding a bit of stress into our stomach and making our body a little bit more like nervous effectively. Like I think we underestimate how much this can connect with feelings like anxiety, for example. When I just explained the idea of what anxiety is all about feeling like safe in the environment you're in, you're adding a little bit of fear into your body effectively. So I definitely think in an anxious state, coffee isn't an ideal source. Whereas something like the cacao drink, which it's C-A-C-A-O, if anyone has, has no idea how to spell that. I think it's C-A-C-A-O. And if you look in your health stores or anything like that, there's, it's going to be there. I think it's in lots of supermarkets now. And it's just going to give you another source of energy and experience having a drink that's not using those same mechanisms to get the energy up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, it's fascinating stuff. Hey, eh? yeah, it's really, really cool. And I, I wanted to um, just touch before I let you go, man. I'm really conscious of your time. I could sit and talk about this stuff with you all day. <laughs> mate. I've got pages of notes, and we've not even been anywhere near them. But um, it's um, I wanted to ask about some of the corporate work that you do because I think people mm-hmm. who um, are working in that environment might well be listening to this while they're sat at their desks and i think they'd be able to kind of get some really we touched on um rituals and routines and things that we can like sprinkle through our day that's going to make life a bit better and i was wondering if we could just touch on the what you kind of sort of things maybe you you talk about or shine a light on when you're working in the in the corporate environment yes so and and are you thinking more of the question being when someone heads into the office or like a work from home corporate person. It's a little bit different. The guy. Yeah. Let's go for the office. Let's go. Because I think a lot of the things that we've talked about already, you can do at home, right? It's much more acceptable to splash water on your face in your own bathroom than it is the work bathroom. So um, yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's go for the office. Yeah. So there are some good things. I I'm a big fan of the office as uh, like, as a whole like i many companies that i train and like support them with their whole management of their productivity and stuff like that i really guide companies to to be keen to have teams in the office on a regular basis because i think that experience of social connection is really really good i'd love this hybrid model i think it's great people can work from home a fair bit but i think offices are awesome i think when you're there really getting the most out of the fact that's your more human connection based days. Like there's going to be so many days at home where you can be in the zone and you can just concentrate on tasks. So really like taking the advantage of spending time with your coworkers. Like I go into these offices and run these training experiences and I still see many people, for example, eating their lunch at their desk while watching some YouTube on their computer which is like fair that's what we might do at home but in the environment when you're in an office it's such a good opportunity to go out and have some lunch in a park with some of some of your colleagues and stuff like that so prioritizing the human connection is super important i think when you're at work in general it's so good to try and get like prolonged periods away from social media it's such an opportunity to be off it for prolonged periods of time and that's what our brain wants it wants this restoration time so even simple things like not having your phone on your desk and not constantly opening LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff and going for the distraction of social media, I think is a pretty wise idea. And then, yeah, the office is an interesting experience. I would just say, 
I think lots of people aren't going as much because of the commuting time and undervaluing it. But we as humans, like we're so designed to go and explore and like do things with our time. We never just hung out at the camp. We wanted to constantly get out there. And I just say, being really open-minded to constantly like doing new experiences and trying to create some kind of sense of belonging in the team that you're in, in a corporate environment is really cool. So trying to get into it, trying to do new activities with them, play five-a-side football, go to events with them, all that kind of stuff. So you're actually bonding with that team is a, is a wise idea. Yeah, sure. No, it sounds, sounds great. And yeah, again, I suppose people can incorporate so much of the other stuff that we've, we've talked about as well. You know, that's wonderful, mate. Thank you so much for today. You've given me so much to think about. Um, like I say, I've been uh, really getting uh, the benefit from your social media and um, I'm actually, I'm looking forward to listening back to this myself so I can uh, make some notes and uh, carry on making some changes. But thank you for your time today, mate. I really, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Great questions. Cheers. Big up to the proper mental podcast. Proper mental podcast.